Well, good morning, Bentonville Church. It's great to be together today. Thank you for joining us for worship. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 4, 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, if you'd like to follow along with us today. And we're beginning a new sermon series on the birth of Jesus as we head towards the Christmas season. And I have a confession that I need to make to you this morning. This week I broke one of my cardinal rules. Really, it's a guide by which I live. I've, I've done this my entire life, and yet this, this week I broke it. I put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. Yes, it's true, don't judge me, because we simply couldn't wait. If any year could use a little more Christmas, it's 2020, isn't it? So welcome to the Christmas season. And the Christmas season is one about waiting. In fact, it's in most of the songs that we sing during Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. It's a, a sense of yearning, isn't it? A waiting. Or it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, which speaks of the longing of the season for decorations and lights and the atmosphere. And then it speaks to the wishes of the season, especially of a group of children. A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots is the wish of Barney and Ben. And dolls that'll talk and go for a walk is the hope of Janice and Jen. And mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. And I'm sure there are some amens in the crowd. Even the song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth, is a song of longing and anticipation. Christmas is about waiting. We watch the pile of presents grow under the tree, and we can't wait for, to see others' faces when they see what they've been given. We eagerly anticipate the arrival of friends and family to celebrate the season with us. We have countdown calendars, and we are constantly reminded on television and everywhere that we go, only 33 more shopping days until Christmas. Oh yes, waiting is the name of the game. Indeed, the term that many use during this season is Advent. It, Advent comes from the Latin term Adventus, which means waiting or longing. And many of us find ourselves waiting right now, don't we? We're waiting maybe for a diagnosis from a doctor. Or waiting for a baby to arrive. We're waiting for the end of COVID or waiting for a vaccine. We are waiting for some good news. Many of us are just waiting for the end of 2020. And as we enter our story today, we find people who are waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are two devout, godly, righteous people who are living in Judea. Zechariah was a priest, Elizabeth was a homemaker, and they were both faithful, devout, righteous, godly. But also, they mourned. They had good lives, but they really felt the absence of a child. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers, but for years they have prayed, and now they feel mostly forgotten. The years have seemed fruitless. They'd tried for years, they waited and anticipated, and then each month brought disappointment. Each year, another heartbreak. And people in their community who were well-meaning probably commented, and then quietly whispered and wondered. And so discouraged at some point, Elizabeth and Zechariah probably just quit trying. Maybe Elizabeth helped other women with their children. Maybe Zechariah threw himself into his career. They found other ways to give their lives meaning. And one day, when they were quite advanced in years, Zechariah got the news that he had been waiting for. He was chosen by lot to serve in the holy place, to offer incense before the Lord. 
for priests, because of the serving rotation and how that worked, they would probably only get one chance in their lives to ever enter the holy place. They trained their entire lives for that one moment, this opportunity. And Zechariah's time had finally arrived. But Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't the only ones waiting. In fact, the entire nation of Israel was waiting on a Messiah. For 480 of the last 580 years, Israel had been a conquered people, first by the Babylonians, and then by the Persians, then the Greeks, and then traded back and forth between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. For about 100 years, they had some freedom. They gained it through some freedom fighting, only to be conquered by the Romans in the 60s B.C. But during that time of waiting, even in that hundred years of freedom, their king hadn't been of the line of David. They were longing for a fulfillment of that promise that God made in 2 Samuel 7, that one of his descendants would always reign on the throne. And then they wondered about the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, because the prophet had promised, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Everlasting Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with righteousness and justice from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So where was their king? Where was there forever? And what about their religion, they wondered. I mean, temple worship continued. There were still priests in worship. Synagogues had sprouted up and people learned the Torah. But religiously, things seemed off. The new temple in Jerusalem was being built by an unbeliever. The high priests were not of the line of Levi, but they were just political lackeys, appointees, whoever it was that that paid the most money for the right. And where were God's prophets? There hadn't been a true prophetic voice for almost 400 years. So they waited, and they wondered, and they trusted in two promises. That God was going to send his Messiah, and that before that happened, the prophet Elijah would return and prepare the way for the Lord. Because the last true prophet, Malachi, had promised as much. He wrote, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children toward their parents. That was the promise they were holding on. And so each year at various feasts, they waited and anticipated the coming of Elijah and the Messiah. But many had given up hope. But these two blessed events converged on this day. As the day dawned, Zechariah would be making his preparations to serve. He would go through a ritual washing, making sure to wash all these parts of his body to prepare himself to go before the Lord. And not only would he prepare his body, but he would prepare his heart and his mind. He would be offering prayers. He would be walking through the steps of the ritual at the incense table. And as he ascended the steps to the holy place, the worshipers outside would would start praying. According to rabbinic tradition, the prayer that they offered was this, God of mercy, come into your holy sanctuary and receive with pleasure the offering of your people. 
And as Zechariah enters the holy place, dressed in all his splendor, alone to serve the Lord, he believes that God will show up. But when an angel appears beside him, it totally freaks him out. The people's prayer has come true. A messenger from God has arrived. And any time an angel appears in Scripture, people tend to become frightened. But the angel has come with a message for Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And imagine the astonishment in this moment. My prayers... I've been praying for a long time for a child, and I'm pretty sure that we are past that point. Which is not what he says in the moment. He says this, but how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Which is a very diplomatic response. He calls himself old, but he makes sure he doesn't refer to his wife that way. But he's got to be wondering, why now? But the angel describes the son who is to come. You will call him John. And in Hebrew, the name John is Jokanan, which means God is gracious. And he will be your source of joy and delight, the angel says. And then also a reason for all people to rejoice. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And the angel describes this future child's ministry. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel says, this is what you've been hoping for. This is what you've been awaiting, a child, a son. And this is what all of Israel has been hoping for. The fulfillment of prophecy, the hope of a people, the sign that God is on the move and is about to arrive, that and this child will prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah, Zechariah can't believe it. Are you punking me? Is this a joke? Because when you've resigned yourself to this is the best it will ever be, good news sounds fake. It seems unbelievable. It's like a child who has spent so long playing in the dirt that all he knows is, knows is clods and mud pies. And then he is told that Disney World exists and that they are about to go. I mean, it just wouldn't compute. The kid wouldn't even begin to understand just how different that would be. To those who have played in the muck, who could imagine magic? To those who dwelled in darkness, who could believe the light? For those who've lived in hopelessness, who can believe when hope is born. For Zechariah, he simply can't believe it. We're old. There is no way. Time's run out. The jig is up. We've tried for years. We've seen the doctors. We've prayed. We've done everything we know to do. So why should I trust you? Why should I get my hopes up? So the angel responds with signs. He points to his identity. I am Gabriel. He states his position. I have come from the very presence of God where I stand. He states his message, I have come to tell you good news. But since you won't believe it, here's your sign. And it's a promise. You won't speak again until the child is born. I'm certain he tries to mutter a reply, but he can't. His voice is gone and the words won't come. And as Zechariah emerges from the holy place silently, mutely, 
a new hope is born in his heart. As he returns home and Elizabeth becomes pregnant, a new hope is born in her heart too. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And those, these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among my people. And although Israel didn't realize it yet, their hopes and dreams were about to be born as well. But Zechariah and Israel aren't the only ones waiting. No, indeed, all of humanity has been awaiting the Messiah to come and deal with the problem of sin. Again, it's something we sing about during the Christmas season. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. All of creation was waiting in, in, in eager anticipation for God to put his plan into motion. And although their world seemed out of sorts, that's exactly when God chose to work. That was the right moment. That was the perfect opportunity. That was the fullness of time. God had waited for just such a time as this, preparing the way, getting things ready, setting things in motion, arranging everything just so, all for the arrival of his son, for his birth, for hope's arrival in our world. And God does this seemingly impossible, kind of crazy thing, because that's who God is. God chooses to bring hope in the midst of hopeless times. The Messiah arrives in the midst of a mess. That's how God chooses to work. As Luke begins his gospel about the good news of Jesus, he starts by telling a story. A story of the birth of Jesus' cousin to an elderly couple who had given up hope. To remind us that hope is born anew in ways that we can't even begin to dream. So just sit back and watch God work. For John will reveal the graciousness of God and will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We too are in need of this hope this morning, aren't we? We need to be reminded that God is at work, even when our world seems out of sorts. So this Christmas season, let us remember that God is gracious, that God remembers that God is at work, that hope isn't lost, and that he doesn't disappoint. Hope is born anew in ways we can't even begin to dream. So let's look for God at work. We know that for many of us, hope is something that we need to hear. For many, it's been a tough year, full of turmoil, stress and distress, loss and hurt. So maybe you need someone to pray with you. And so I want to encourage you that we have a, a, a line set up, an email address, needs at bentonvillechurch.com, that you're welcome to use. You are welcome to send us an email and reach out if there's anything that you need or anybody that you might want to just have pray with you to reach out to you. Let us know. We want to be here to listen and to offer hope. Maybe you need a fresh start, a clean slate, a connection to God's hope. And so we would love to help you come to know more about Jesus, to help you deepen your faith, to work through any questions that you might have, to baptize you into Christ, to start your life in you. And so if that's something you're interested in, please reach out through that needs at bentonvillechurch.com email address or call our church and we'd be happy to talk with you. But remember, as we enter into this season, that hope does not disappoint and that hope is born anew. May God bless us and may we find the hope 